You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome everyone, I am Johnny Christ and this is the Drinks with Johnny podcast. Thanks for tuning in and happy Halloween to all you. Hope you guys enjoyed your Halloween yesterday. I know I did. I had my annual party on Saturday night and it was an absolute fucking blast. Um, Hope you guys enjoy Halloween as much as I do. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do with Andy Black of Black Veil's Brides. We talked about everything from our time touring together, their new record that just came out on Friday, The Phantom Tomorrow. Um, man, it was just a really, really fun chat and really fun to catch up with Andy and uh, talk about some of the stuff that's been going on since we haven't seen each other in 10 years. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you want to uh, hang around at the end, I'll, I'll let you know where you can go to find more Drinks with Johnny. But without further ado, I bring you my chat with Andy Black of Black Veil Brides. How you been, man? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a it's been a while since we've uh, talked. Like, I mean, many many fucking years. Uh, I believe a decade. Uh, <laughs> Has it so, been that long? Yeah, that's we were we were just talking about it last night. I think that was uh, it was yeah 2011 was the tour that we did with you guys. Yeah, I was talking to Jake. I had Jake on the uh, the show a few months ago too, and he was talking about uh, we were trying to rem- remember on that tour who else was was on the bill. Do you remember? I know it was. Us, you guys. It was Ask Alexandria and Ask Hollywood on Dead. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. That was a fun tour. In those days, us and Asking basically did every single tour together. Whether it was here or abroad, it was like we were we were always on tour together perpetually. So if there's ever a, a tour from 10 years ago, I just assume that Asking was on it because we were on it. <laughs> well, that's kind of fun, though. You guys, you guys got to tour a lot. I mean, I'm sure you guys had a lot of fun. Um, doing that yeah. I mean, for us, we did we did that with a uh, bullet and a tray for a lot of time. So, I guess that was kind yeah, of that was like time. that was when the worm had turned from uh, our records came out like within a month of one another, our first records, and we were constantly pit against each other in every possible way. Friends, crew, people. It was all oh, this person said this thing about you or whatever, and uh, we had constantly were kind of like you know trying to compete for who was gonna rule the world i guess and uh it was around that time that we all decided that we were actually friends and enjoyed each other's company and so uh then we just started you know hanging out more yeah i think that's how i think that's kind of how it all works i mean i remember when we first started out uh, we did co-headlining tours with uh with atreyu and we were friendly but we were there was always this competition like this underlying competition of who's going to be the band out of Southern California with this with this similar sound that's going to rise to the top. So I understand that. And now we're like the best of friends, like for the last couple of decades now. So I could I could I could uh, uh, understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, just for us because the the era that we came from, you know, it was a very kind of I guess uh, divisive time with rock music. Many bands that were coming up. Um, represented an era and a style that the traditional metal fan was not interested in and so there was also a galvanizing aspect to 
our two bands and several others being bands that believed strongly in what we were doing. And also when we would play a festival, everybody would throw shit at us and flip us off. So there was kind of like a, you know, there was in, in many ways coming from that era and now being two bands who have, um, you know, more success in a more, uh, I guess, mainstream way where people know about the band. We've been around for a while. Uh, it feels great to know that, you know, the two of our bands got to that point because we both certainly, I remember playing festivals in like Germany and stuff where the second both of our bands stepped out on stage, it was just chaos of people hating that we were even alive. Well, that, that, that has a lot to do with Germany. The first time you're out in Germany, it doesn't matter what band you are. Like it's, they, they're not going to like you right off the bat. You, you have to earn their respect and it takes several years of going back to those festivals. I've always said one of the tours that uh, I guess it didn't surprise me because I didn't know what to expect, but it certainly didn't go the way that I thought or that I had dreamed or imagined was we opened for Motley Crue in like soccer stadiums in, in Europe. And in, in that same, this is like 2012 or something. And it was, you know, we were really excited and we had become friendly with Nikki and Mick and then a few of the guys and we were just so excited to do it. And then it wasn't, we were used to playing festivals or things where people would be upset that we were there. I had never experienced such a level of uh, just crushing disinterest where we would, we'd get done with a song and my job as the vocalist is to be like, all right, everybody. Here's, you know, and then there would just be just a, a soccer stadium full of silence. People just <laughs> looking at us with their arms crossed. Not mad, just not yeah, interested yeah. in the slightest. Yeah. And it, you know, you, then you're stuck with that weird thing of like, all right, well, here's the next one. And you're just trying to get through the set so that you don't have that really awkward time in between. Um, so yeah, there's, I would say, like anything, it took, it took us a long time to kind of gain our, our footing uh, around the world. The first place that really took to us was England and the rest of the world, uh, it took a little bit longer. And now, you know, we're, we're in that situation where we'd love to be able to, to go back to the rest of the world. So we're just waiting on that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so funny. This, the story you just, uh, uh, painted that picture it's exactly right that's a, that's what happens to every fucking band when they go over to europe uh when you're opening for other bands we did the same thing when we opened for iron maiden metallica guns and roses over there it was the same thing that silence in between it took us a few days to figure out a way to just be like just play through dude just fucking play through yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. make noise in between songs and just fucking yeah we started in. i think cc our drummer started having like uh like a, a pad with noise. We just had like rainfall or wind or just something so that there wasn't, you know, the awkwardness, but then it's just getting through the set. And then you're, then you're looking at the clock and going, I'm contractually obligated to play this long and we haven't talked or done anything in between the songs. So you're trying to make sure that it fulfills, it's like a math equation at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's so funny because I can, it's taking me back to those times when I did that too. And I was just like, Oh my God, that's, it, it's exactly the same feeling. It makes me feel better that it wasn't just us. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, uh, things getting thrown at you guys at the festivals and stuff or just shows in general. Um, we had a little bit of that too. I, I was curious though, as you were saying it, what, uh, has anyone gotten hurt from something thrown on stage? And if so, by like what? No, we thankfully never got hurt. And in, in looking back in retrospect, um, there were certainly instances where it could have. My personality is such that uh, I certainly have a, a chip on my shoulder and I, especially in those days, it, it reveled in the, in the, the combative nature of it. You know, I, I felt, uh, excited by the fact that we would go out in front of a hundred thousand people at download and, and everyone was mad. It kind of, it kind of spurred us on a little bit, um, because, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that growing up for me, I grew up in Ohio. I, uh, you know, I looked a particular way that was not composite of everybody else listening to, you know, bands like the Misfits and Alkaline Trio and bands like yours and Social Distortion and all these bands that the eye makeup and things like that were part of the aesthetic. Uh, and interests that I had were kind of centered around that and horror movies and comic books and stuff. So from the time I was a really young kid, I was getting shit thrown at me, having people yell at me just for existing. Right. And having to get into fights to defend myself. Uh, and so there's, you know, for me, I also grew up playing sports. You know, I always joke I was the only kid whose mascara would run underneath my helmet. You know, like I was. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, wait. Before you go further, I need to know what sports. I mean, you played sports. What, what, which ones and what one ended up being your favorite uh, as a kid? I played everything as a kid. Uh, I, I, 
it's, it, you wouldn't know it now based on my current physique, but I was a very good offensive lineman as a, as a young kid. No fucking uh, way. I was an offensive yeah. lineman, too. I won I won an award. It's my dad's favorite thing that we have in the house. Is I won it at uh, there was a, a football camp in Cincinnati, and I won top offensive lineman, which is just so funny to also have it next to, like, a Karen cover of me and what I look like, <laughs> no. you know, years later. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, so let's paint. Let, let me help me help me imagine what you looked like in high school as a, as an offensive line. What, what, what offensive line position were you playing? Guard, tackle, center? I was center. Uh, and I also, I was uh, a late bloomer when it came to height. I was like a, a chubby kid who was kind of shorter. And then as I got older, I shot up to, to six, two and, and sort of my, my everything just sort of went like this. Uh, but the, I played, I played baseball quite a bit. I was a first baseman. I liked that. Uh, I would get made fun of by the other kids and they would make fun of the fact that I would dress exactly like Ken Griffey Jr. The everything, the entire outfit. Uh, and my dad <laughs> was always awesome. super supportive of it. So I'd have the, yeah. the Griffey gloves and the cleats and the visor and like everything. Elbow guard, Gary Sheffield, elbow guard, that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then. I, the thing that I excelled the most in and what I played the longest was hockey. I was a goalie in hockey and I played AAU and I was in uh, national championships and I won a uh, gold medal, uh, junior Olympic uh, AAU gold medal. Like oh, there shit. was, uh, yeah. So I was, I was really into that um, as essentially, I mean, kind of a diversion here, but as, and you know this, when you're a really young kid, the option of being a uh, world renowned rock star when you're 10 is, is limited. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's not really a chance for that. So yeah. I figured that will have to wait. Uh, and I can put myself into this and I can be the rock star of this team. I, I was always attracted to positions where there's only one of them on the team. So uh, a position where, and the part of the reason admittedly why I stopped playing football so young was I wasn't playing a skill position and it wasn't glamorous. So I didn't get to have as much fun <laughs> when I played baseball. Say, I it's amazing, baseman. Andy, you became a singer. I, I, I don't, I don't see how that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, in baseball, I wanted to play first base and hit home runs because then I'd be, you know, adulated for, for being the guy. Uh, and in hockey, there's only one goalie and it's really, you know, you get to wear the most costumery and the mask and the shit and everything. And like, everybody looks at you. And if you have a good game and it's, it's, you know, really important. If you have a bad game, it's on you. I like the pressure. Um, and so as a kid, I just decided this is what I want to do. And I grew up part of the, a big part of my life is while outside of my house, the way that I dressed, the things I liked, who, who I was, was uh, a negative thing to other people in our town. Mm. My parents and in particular, my dad, was always tremendously supportive of everything. But the thing that was instilled in me was, if you're, if you're going to do that, you're going to dress like that, look like that, be like that, you, you have to be able to stand up for yourself. And so that was very early on. The kind of uh, duality of me was, you know, I would match my eyeshadow with my shoe color, but I'd also be willing to defend myself if somebody messed with me about it. Yeah. Um, and so... Those things parlayed into, you know, I also, we started, we started touring when I was so young. The band started when I was 16. We're playing, you know, Download Festival. I'm 19 years old. I have almost no life experience outside of being a teenager growing up that way, dropping out of high school, and then going on tour. And so we would play these festivals, and the vitriol would kind of excite me because it felt, I was writing these songs that were about feeling disenfranchised and being angry at the world and, and they were legitimate feelings. And then you go out in the world and people are acting on those feelings. And it, in many ways, to use the word again, it galvanized the audience because it was legitimate. A lot of times people go up there on stage and their pose is I'm a badass, and aren't I so cool? And in this instance, it was this person in this band and this band in general, they, they look like me. They're, they talk about things that talk about that I think about, and they get the same shit that I get. So if I go to their show, people are throwing shit at them just the way that they're throwing insults at me at school. So there was a direct and legitimate connection there, and I would really lean into it. So huge, long story way of getting there. It got to the point where it became almost uh, a little bit too dangerous, where I remember playing a festival in Vegas where somebody threw something at the stage and 
I got a wild hair on my ass and decided to invite the entire festival to throw whatever they had in their hands at oh. us at the same time. Uh, <laughs> That's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And it was pandemonium. Extremely yeah. entertaining, I'm sure, to watch. But yeah. I, I have one singular image I remember in my head, which was a smoothie, which I thought was such an impractical, weird thing that this person had at this festival, but it was a smoothie. A Smoothie King red smoothie going end over end through the air and I'm watching it and it just goes over my shoulder. The, the downside of this is that, of course, we were not headlining this festival. So um, Black Label Society's gear that is backlined and oh. getting destroyed with things. So they were not happy. Not happy. Thankfully, uh, Zach has always been very cool to us and he had actually just guested on one of our songs like three months prior to this. So there was a little bit of a like, eh, sorry, but you know, and nothing got ruined. Thankfully, That's but, good. uh, those were the kind of moments where I started to kind of think maybe this whole like macho, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass, you know, guy wearing eye makeup thing. It needs to be harnessed more. Uh, and then unfortunately, a couple months after that, I gave a, a very famous, uh, award show speech. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, to a lot of people that uh, anybody watching this who is not a fan of mine may be familiar with where I screamed a lot of people and was very mean to them because they were being mean to me. <laughs> I am not familiar with this speech, Andy. I think I missed that. Man, I, this is, I feel really bad because I'm just talking and we're not, I'm just like talking at you and uh, no, I feel no, bad this that I'm monopolizing good. this. <laughs> um, no, this is, this is the, this is the beauty of podcasting. We're getting into the weeds and shit. We're just, we're just getting started here, Andy. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll interject I'll when the time is right. If you see me wincing, by the way, I'm drinking, this is a hotel room. I'm in, in uh, the Chicagoland area. This is okay. hotel room coffee, uh, instant coffee. So in a Starbucks cup, uh, just to fool everybody. I was um, gonna say, I thought, yeah, 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 you're going for the for the corporate there. I like that our you production uh, assistant time. took a bunch of Starbucks cups from our last venue and put them on the bus. So I grabbed this this morning and thought, oh, it's always this will this will present better. Uh, do, you anyway, do, so, the, do you guys do the bo the box of pikes in the in the dressing room in the mornings, like before you could start turning on the coffee makers? There's already like a box from the runner. Yeah, no, we did, we have the we have the Keurigs. So yeah, nobody yeah. leaves the bus without the like, you know, several pods in their system and then and then we move forward in the day. Um, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then how did you get uh, the how did you get the logo on the on on in the background there? This? Yeah. That's the television uh in the room. I have uh it, you know, I, I saw that there was a TV in the only area that I can sit and do this and I thought fucking hdmi that shit and put the logo That's, on there i appreciate that you gave yourself a rad background there too and put it up there i am uh i'm a fancy son of a bitch is what i what <laughs> i need to everyone to understand. that's the clip out for the episode right there andy andy black yeah. fancy son of a bitch <laughs> i also do the light in this room have uh sort of a phantom of the opera face going on uh, uh, we'll so. fix it best we can we do everything in post don't worry about it right great uh so um just a brief rundown of the situation again in the early part of the band so much of the hatred that was thrown at us was predicated on the idea of our aesthetics more than anything else no one really listened to the music they had no idea what we sounded like and i was i knew this i know a little bit about that i know a little bit about that andy we yeah, might have had exactly. a sim similar start <laughs> yeah exactly but i knew that this was true because we were often in even in press grouped in with bands who were our peers in terms of timeline, but whose music would sound nothing like us. And this is not meant as um, an insult to anybody, but our music was not composite of warp Tour pop punk. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, that was never the music that we were making. And you would see things like, oh, these bands like such and such and such and such and Black Veil Brides. And you go, wow, you have absolutely no idea what we sound like. So that was... Like many bands, I mean, you know, it's an uphill climb at the beginning because you, you get frustrated. You're like, you make these records and people are listening only with their eyes, but by the same token, 
the aesthetic in the show are things that you as a band are interested in. So you're not going to lose that just to try to appease these people. Um, so it was extremely frustrating. I'll, I'll condense this. Uh, song called In the End, um, first big song that we ever had. Uh, lyrics are written right after the death of my grandfather about the loss of my grandfather. And it was a really important song to me. There was, you know, those fan voted award shows, Golden Gods, Kerrang Awards, that kind of thing. Um, we had one song of the year at that uh, Golden Gods. And I was really excited because for the first time, you know, we had won a lot of these fan voted awards, but I had never, you know, given like an actual, I was going to say something. I wanted to say something about my grandfather because, you know, we're on Fuse or whatever. And it was an opportunity my family would be watching. And uh, the mistake that was made by the handlers of the, of the award show was they placed the winners of the awards uh, in the photo pit directly in front of the audience for the entirety of the introduction. And that's a mistake if the audience, it's the show is running late and the headliner is Metallica and the whole audience is already mad that Metallica is not on. And now they must sit through all, all of their favorite band, Black Bill Brides, going up on stage to accept an award. And something flipped in the front row of the audience where these like five or six dudes lost their fucking minds. Like, 20 out of 10 level of anger. They were spitting at us and, and like this close wow. to screaming. And then Sebastian Bach is the, the guy who's presenting the award. And he goes, Black Mountain Brides. And we all run up on stage. And yeah. by the time I get there, whatever was in me that was excited to talk about my grandfather had flipped to like every bit of anger that I'd had since I was a little kid at these people, at the the metal elitists at the people who would scream uh, obscenities at me as I'm walking to the fucking grocery store in my hometown. It became this the fucking sort dickheads. of amalgam. The fucking dickheads yeah, of the world. Exactly. exactly. But it became this amalgam. Like those guys, their faces went away and they just became avatars of everyone that had done that. And instead of speaking about my grandfather, I just lost my fucking mind as, a, as the award show speech. Uh, threatened to hit all of them with the award uh screamed about their looks and who they are and i believe i said something along the lines of uh you know we have a song on the radio and you have a fat ass or something like something along those okay. lines. it was you know <laughs> not and and the thing is i don't regret being angry i do regret in retrospect saying the things that i said especially about people's body image and stuff like that yeah like well i mean is it is how long ago was this this would uh just about 10 years ago okay you know I, we we could get in i mean we don't need to get too deep into it, but I mean, the optics on things and things not aging well. I mean, that's a whole debate for another day, but it's like, that was fucking 10 years ago. How old were you? You know, like you, yeah. you say stupid things in anger anyway. I know that if you went back 10 years of shit that I said when I was 26 years old, even I'm sure I said some stupid shit. I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. And I, and anyone who looks back at someone from what they said 10 years ago in a lot of respects. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bad things and it doesn't age well, but don't be the first to cast the stone in a glass house. We all know that we've said stupid shit over the years. And I think that it's getting a little too much at this point of pulling back someone's shit from so long ago. It's like, okay, you just can't say anything at any time in your life. Well, you know, I think that, you know, for me, as I get older, um, the reality of accountability for moments is not about, it's not about having never been educated or having uh, decided that the way I was then is the way I'll be forever. It's right. about, a, as you said, there is a journey over the, I was 20 years old when that happened or many of these things happened. Um, and the journey through the course of that is it's not, it's just about for me, the personal accountability is about not passing the buck, not, admonishing myself for having been 20 and not knowing anything. Right. It's, but not, also an, it's saying, not an ultimate excuse. It's just, it's just a reality. Like you're still a kid yeah. at that time. Yeah. And, but but knowing it. today that who I am now is someone who has been able to have 10 years of appreciation of getting to do this and being able to laugh about something as opposed to uh, attacking someone's uh, looks or something else, because I feel hurt is yeah. it's a really valuable thing to have. And it's something that, and maybe you, because you, you know, you, you, you started young as well. When you're young in this industry, there is a certain level of 
people saying to you, oh, you'll learn different stuff over the course of your career. And when you're 20 and on the road and you think on a fucking pirate ship and you think you're the shit, it's impossible to get that or understand that the journey of life and all the lessons that you learn through being in this fucked up industry are tangible things that you can look back on later. And at the time you feel invincible because why wouldn't you, you know what I mean? Like that's, everybody's kissing your ass everywhere you go and people are saying you're the, the shit and people cheer for you every day just because you walk into a room. It's yeah, very dude. hard for a 20 year old to be like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to learn. Yeah. I mean, when we were, when we were busting out and doing stuff, I was, I was 20 as well. And when we were winning VMAs and stuff, I wasn't old enough to drink and I still managed to find ways to do so, you know, um, you know, that speaks to the privileges of being in uh, of the highs of this industry, but and I couldn't agree with you uh, more. But I would take it one step further, and I think that's also in a human being's life too. I mean, who at twenty was worried about anything? When you're twenty, you feel invincible about anything, and you already know everything. I mean, I have a four year old son right now, and he already tells me he knows everything. It's it's like it, it's it's a weird concept that you won't get until you get that uh, that uh, that perspective of later in life and you can retrospectively look back and go like yeah that that was a bad thing to do and the only thing i could do now see that was my point of of not indicting people from something 10 years ago it's not it's not what they said wasn't wrong it's not anything like that but it's we we live in this world of opportunities where you're given second chances you're given third chances and the reason why is because we can all look at each other and go like we're a work in progress I've learned in my age that I will always be a work in progress in every asset of my life, whether it be striving to be a better bass player, being a better husband, a better father, just a better person in general. I'm constantly learning. I'm not going to sit there and be set in my ways and be like, oh, I could say what I said 10 years ago. I was like, no, I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying like you get it's a journey in in life. Absolutely. And it it does. To your point, there's advantages and disadvantages about being young and successful in, in, in this career, but then to learn from it too. See, that's the cool thing I've always respected about you guys too. I've seen your evolution since the 10 years ago we played together when originally it was, I, we saw that, uh, we saw a lot of ourselves in you guys, uh, the, the, the vitriol you were getting from wearing the makeup and everyone saying you, you were part of this group and you really didn't feel that way. Um, we had all that stuff in our early on in our career too. So we, saw a lot of that in you guys and we we're like this is really cool let's get these guys out here and then 10 years later you guys are still killing it you're you're in chicago right now you're on the road right now right we're on tour uh we're doing a co-headline tour within this moment through the states uh and it is incredible to be back on tour um you know for us you imagine as you said the the reality is and 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 you guys have this to a huge degree there are certain bands whose audience is integral to the show, to the entirety of the band. There's a dedication that certain bands have where, mm -hmm. you know, and this is, I can, I can speak to this because I, I mean, I'm not being um, braggadocious because this is certainly something that you guys experience on a much, much higher scale. But there are certain bands who, for many people, you either love them or hate them, and if you love them, you really love them, and you have the tattoos, and your 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 life is about this band. And we've been very fortunate that while we are very um, divisive, the people who love us are hugely dedicated to us, and that really manifests in the live show setting and getting to do meet and greets and that kind of thing. And it shows, so, and, and and I don't mean to cut you off there, but I, I wanted to point out too, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you also have this dedication to them. Once they start to reciprocate that dedication early on, like you're saying, where they're getting the tattoos, whether this becomes a part of their life, it's love or hate, and they absolutely love, you find those ones that just love it so much. And then you dedicate a lot to, of what you put into it to them. You know, you, you have an obligation to... Uh, you know, not creatively, but you have an obligation to uh, uh, attach yourselves to part of this family and, and grow this, I mean, what we call a family in, in, in our group. Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth is there's a, a Pendulette is one of my favorite uh, minds, the magician. And um, I, I read a lot of his, his books and stuff, and, and I'm a big fan of his. And he has uh, a theory about Bruce Springsteen versus Bob Dylan. And I've always liked it because I, I found that it applies to 
what our band is and, and kind of what we go after, which is to say, Bob Dylan, when you go see Bob Dylan a concert, he's playing a concert uh, and you are there to watch the concert. It is his show and he, you are inconsequential to the experience. He's creating the art. He's singing the songs to you. He's happy that you're there, but it's not your show. It's his show. Bruce Springsteen is doing a show for everyone there. Every song is about us and we. Every song invites you to sing along. The idea of the moment is that this is our experience together. The connection with the audience is innate. The songs lend themselves to that. The ideas lend themselves to that. So that has always been something that has stuck with me where for us to get back on the road and to be able to connect with people on a one-to-one direct basis mm-hmm. allows us to be in that position of an us environment. When you're making a record and you're in the pandemic and you're just releasing shit on the internet, uh, <laughs> it's nice to get the feedback, social media, whatever else, but you're not, not you're same. not experiencing it in that way where the decade plus of, of work that you've put in, you're seeing it, you're seeing the tattoos and the fucking cosplay and everything else. Like it is, it's an unparalleled connection. And it's one that to go back to your previous point, when I was younger, I, I really appreciated it and I loved it. And as I get older and in the constant quest to be less of a piece of shit than I was yesterday, every day, uh, (laughs) every fucking day, that's the whole thing. Anybody who says that they're done working on themselves, I probably will not get along with you at all. Like if you think that you're like every day, you're just like, oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's like, man, you're just closing yourself off to the rest of the world. It's a constant journey to be less of a piece of shit than the day before. Um, (laughs) But because of that, I can at this point now really appreciate every moment of this, especially when, you know, it was taken away from us for, for 18 months. Right. You know, we were road dogs. We toured nine, 10 months of the year for almost 10 years. I really needed a reset. I needed to be able to spend time with my wife for a long time and to be at home and to write and make art and do all that stuff. And I was able to reset my, love and adoration for the experience and so right now i don't know that i've ever had more fun doing this like this is the best experience i've ever had as a, as a musician yeah man I'm, I'm i'm actually super jealous i saw some of the stuff uh you guys did out in uh letter than life fest over in uh, kentucky it was that last month and then did you guys did you guys do uh aftershock we did aftershock yeah aftershock yeah it looked Looked insane. I mean, uh, our boy Zachy went out to one of the days to see Misfits and stuff, and I believe he might have probably caught you guys. I, I didn't go out because, speaking of touring and the way it's gone back with all the protocols, like everyone's got to be in these bubbles and stuff. So I was hitting up some buddies, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll come up to this festival. It'll just be fun to see a live concert again after so long. And, uh, yeah, everyone was hitting me back like, oh, we're, we got to stay in our bubble. We can't really hang out. And I'm like, although I want to see your concert and live music is cool, but, like, I just wanted to go say hi to my friends too. So yeah, it's like if I can't yeah. do I that, mean, that's I'm really that's what we've been that's what we've been dealing with on this tour is that for us, you know, we can't see anybody, whether that's loved ones or whatever else, we're just in the bubble. But um it certainly has made it so you know, the focus is is the show. There's nothing else. Yeah. As as nice as it is to see an old friend, when you literally can't, all you're doing is you're, you're doing the work of making sure that you're extremely well rested every day. You're eating right. You're, you're doing everything you can, excuse me, to play the show. And so it actually has been beneficial in that way because I'm going to bed at like fucking 1030 every night. You know what I mean? Like, there's, Whoa, there's that no, is like, early for the road, yeah, man. Because <laughs> yeah. these are earlier shows. So one of the things is also, I don't know what has happened, but you know, our, the opening band of our, of the tour that we're on is going on, on at like, 5 15 he's not so it's like there oh, is there is the shows are super early which means that i'm in bed by 11 you know like it's it's fantastic i mean that's i mean that's great for, I, I didn't even think about that that's a great point you just pointed out andy about the the focus and everything is is going to be 100 on it because what else are you going to focus on you don't have the extracurricular activity that when you say you go to bed at 10 30 i'm thinking 10 30 in the morning that makes more sense to me out on that's what road. i'm saying it's it's a very different situation and it's really um and also when you don't have tour legs and you haven't done it in a long time. Right. It's, it's important to get, to get it back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. I always try. You always start out every tour trying to, okay, I'm going to get out here. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to work out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep a really good regiment. 
and then slowly but surely it starts to get away from you and you're you know you're up later and anything anyway i digress on that because that's that's probably more me than you um but it used to be me but you know part of the the joys of and and you know me not drinking or these other things is how long have you been sober uh, six years oh wow congratulations that's a that's quite a that's quite a bit of time yeah uh I mean, look, the truth of the matter is I was very fortunate in that my drinking was, it wasn't, uh, I didn't have DTs. I didn't go through like the, the withdrawals. I was able to just stop. I was, I was doing it to cope with, I've always had really bad OCD. I've really always had really bad anxiety. And it's very hard for me to let go, have fun, socialize. And I drank initially to quiet that and that then became well i'm drinking all the time then it ended with me drinking alone all the time which is the saddest possible way it could go so uh you know not to not to get into that whole thing but well well, there's something wrong with drinking alone like having a bar in your house or something andy come on drinking alone in a hotel room (laughs) just with no tv on just sitting on the couch you know you gotta at least have the tv on you gotta at least have the tv on (laughs) saddest possible scenario but anyway it was the right choice for me and what has happened is what it did open up for is being able to at first it was hard because a lot of the like ocd stuff and everything came back really hardcore Mm -hmm. and now I kind of call it like my superpower in a way, my ability to be hyper-focused on staying healthy, eating really well, taking care of myself, getting a fuck ton of work done. Like that's my new addiction and obsession. Get up every day, work out, go for a run every morning before the sound check, make sure I work out after, eat my same regimented foods, you know, make sure I'm getting my work done. Like whatever time used to be wasted for me, making it more difficult for myself I'm now using to try to be healthier and again, less of a piece of shit than I was the day before. Yeah, no, I love that. And that, that's, that's a, that's a great uh, story of it and why, you, why you decided that I think that that's a, that's a really positive thing that I think a lot of people could take away from that. I mean, I tried to do that uh, on a smaller scale, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still quite a bit of a drinker, but uh, you know, have kids try and focus on that shit. It, it gets uh, less and less all the time, but you mentioned like, I wanted to ask you again, uh, who was that, that that talked about Springsteen, Dylan? Uh, can you say that for Penn me? Penn Gillette. Penn and Teller. Oh, okay. Is that who that is? Okay. When you said yeah. it when you said it that way, I was like, I don't know who that is. Big guy who talks, little guy who doesn't talk. Yes, I know who you're talking about now. Okay, cool. And the other thing you mentioned is uh, you've gotten married over, like since the last time I talked to you, which we yeah. talked about was a decade ago. How long did you get married? We met the like two months before the tour that we did with you guys so that was the first tour that i did uh, you guys have been together for that long huh? congratulations yeah, that's yeah. cool yeah thank you we got married in 2016 um and so wait wait yeah, wait we, this the saint of a woman knew you were going out with avenge sevenfold two months later and stuck with you the whole time well she is uh her name is is lilith czar she's a, she's a rock star in her own right so she's she's been touring just as long as i have uh not longer awesome. she is a, is a rock and roller. She, she knows, she knows how it goes. And she was also part of the thing is we got sober together because at the time we were both ragers. And so, uh, you know, that's been one of the biggest joys of my life is getting to share the life change with her and us both improving and seeing people we haven't seen in years and then being like, wow, you guys, look really healthy and happy and everything. Yeah, you, so, you guys yeah. look great. <laughs> like I look so at you right been, now, I'm like, you look great, man. You look like a, like like you did 10 years ago, you fucker. I, I look all old and grizzly. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, you know, again, and, and you know, having a person in your life that uh, motivates you and gets you to want to be better and to have something to work towards, it's the greatest thing you can have. And so for me, both from a musician perspective, because she's extraordinarily talented, but also from a, a personal perspective, wanting to be a better husband, wanting to be a better person has been a huge motivating factor. And, and likewise for her um, and in her life and with her career and our relationship and everything. So it's been, you know, I don't know that it could have happened without us doing it together at the same time. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's that's kind of what everyone hopes for in a partner, I think. And that's, that's what everyone's striving for. And it goes, but I think the theme of the day is each day trying to be less of a piece of shit. And with a partner, it like keeps it going, you know? So yep. I think that's really cool. Um, let's get back to a little bit more of the music side of things, though. Um, 
you're out on tour with In This Moment. How long ago was it you you jumped on a on a thing with uh, Maria for the what was it? The death metal. Dark Knight's death metal. Dark Knight's death metal. Yeah. Uh, how long ago did you do that? That was the first thing that I did in the the pandemic. What I call the floating period of the pandemic, when none of us knew if we were ever going to go on tour or what the fuck was going to happen, and none of the nobody knew where you could wear a mask or what you had to do. Like that weird, like I think, it was I think April that's still that's still floating a little bit. It's still floating yeah, a little but bit. But April of twenty twenty, where there was <laughs> there was no guidelines, and there were also all the guidelines, and there was no yeah, right. like so. We were in the middle of making a record at the time, and at the time, we didn't know what the fuck was going on. So naturally, our producer said, "Let's just wait it out to see kind of what what level of being in the same room we can be, what safety precautions there are, that kind of thing." So this is the end of March, uh, yeah, I would say early April, and I got a call from Tyler Bates, who's famous composer, producer. Um, yeah, I met Tyler. I met Tyler a few times. Uh, we. He was, uh, he gets sponsored by uh, Schechter. I met him actually at the Schechter yeah. studios before and stuff. And he's in Guardians of the Galaxy scores and shit yeah. and other stuff. Every, really every cool idea. movie you've ever seen, Tyler Bates did the score of, basically. When yeah. you walk into his studio, it's just like a blockbuster of the greatest movies on the world. Right, yeah, yeah, at his house, at his studio yeah. in his house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty rad. Very cool. So I, I didn't really know him at all, but I have done, over the years, I've done work with DC Comics, because um, I'm a pretty big Batman fan. And so I've done a lot of stuff with like helping them with the 75th anniversary line they did with Hot Topic and like just different things over the years um, through either with them or through Hot Topic. And they have a big partnership there. So I've been involved in a lot of that stuff with creative stuff. And so I was kind of always around as if there's ever a Batman thing, give me a call. Like I'm your guy. And so uh, through the grapevine of DC, Tyler had gotten my name, and basically they were doing uh, an animated series for the Dark Knight's Death Metal, which is Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's heavy metal version of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. So I guess they thought I would be a good fit for voicing the heavy metal version of Batman for this. And so I got a call from him basically saying, do you want to do Batman? And I, I said, yes. And I didn't, you know, I, I, for me, I've always said there would never be a bigger layup than me getting to do the Batman voice because it's, I've been trying to sound like Batman since I was four years old. So, you know, it was like, <laughs> that's the best case scenario for me. Um, but so through doing that, we really enjoyed working together. And then they started doing the soundtrack elements. And he asked me if I wanted to, to jump in on a song that he and Maria were doing. And I, and I just did some guest vocals on it, but it was, it was a lot of fun. So I guess my follow-up question to that real quick is uh, now that you're on the road uh, co-headlining within this moment, are, would, you, would you guys ever bring it out live or would you, and, and on, 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 during whose set would it be? Uh, yeah, we had talked about it and it was like one of those things where we couldn't figure it out. And also admittedly, I don't really know it. You know, like when you do a guest vocal on something. You can't, you can't just find it on iTunes, dude. Yeah, I guess I can learn it, but you know, I'm having a hard enough time. We're playing 80 minutes a night of our material. I gotta, you know, yeah, like. You guys are I, up to 80 I'm minutes now. Okay, that's yeah, awesome. I'm, tr I'm trying to remember, uh, you know, like songs from our first record. Uh, so when we were in rehearsals getting ready to do this, we were talking about it. And then it, we both kind of just said, you know what? If it happens organically through the course of the tour, we'll try to get it done. And then we can both learn it or whatever. Um, but otherwise, we haven't. Neither of us have toured in two years. Let's focus on making our shows right. yeah, the best yeah, possible. Yeah. That's a that's 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 a reasonable answer. I think some people would want to hear it, but I think that's a reasonable answer. I think everyone can understand that. Yeah, it's not a no. It's definitely <laughs> yeah. in the mix, but it's uh, well, you know, well, long you long. you could tease it a little bit, Andy, and be like, you never know which night it's going to be. You got to show yeah. up to the show. Well, not with YouTube. <laughs> Every night is accounted for now. There's that's no true. there's no anonymous <laughs> night. Uh, but, you know, we still have over a month left on this tour, so we'll see. That's awesome, man. And, and so far, you guys are having fun? That's so much fun. I mean, really, you know, for us, the band, we were almost done uh, in 2018. It was, was kind of, for a myriad of reasons, it seemed like it was the end of the band. And Yeah, Jake spoke uh, to that a little bit on uh, a few months ago with that with me. Yes. Yeah. And to be able to not only come back, but to re-energize the band, make a record that we feel is one of the best ones we've made in years and be this fucking happy and having fun and sitting in the front lounge as a band 
talking about our lives and our spouses and our houses and whatever. It's something we've really never had before. We've always been in the early days, we were friends by virtue of the fact that we were in this band together and it was us against the world. Then in the midpoint, we were friends because we worked together and lived in similar quarters, but never hung out socially. And then eventually we just didn't talk to each other except for being on stage. And now we are, I mean, just every day, you know, we're, we're hanging out and talking and, and socially having what fun. What was your perspective of that almost split in 2018? Cause I got, I got Jake's side of it and what, how he was feeling about it. What was, what was your, what was your take on, on what, what the causality and ultimately what brought you back? Well, it, it broke my heart more than anything I had probably ever experienced, but it was one of those things where we were in a situation that felt like we couldn't get out of it. And we, we didn't know exactly what to do and the band was becoming splintered and we were ending, uh, we were, you know, getting towards the end of our universal deal and we didn't know anybody at the label anymore. And, you know, we were in a situation where it seemed like if it was going to end, it seemed like the right time. And we tried to do some touring and it was just, it wasn't fun. And I, you know, I basically out of necessity started doing the solo stuff because I felt like, you know, A, I wanted to make a different type of music for fun. And then B, I wanted to still be able to tour and make a living. Um, mm. And it didn't seem like that was going to be the case or, or going to be mentally and, and, and uh, emotionally sustainable to be able to do that within the context of the band with where we were at and what we were dealing with. And so it just got heartbreaking. And then I, I did my second solo record and I did the tour for that record. And throughout the course of that tour, just couldn't handle the idea of losing this thing that had been part of my life since I was 16 years old. I mean, yeah. more than, more than half now of your life, life the, yeah. the words black veil brides have been synonymous with my name. If you know, you know how it is. Yeah. If you of course. Been sevenfold in a hotel lobby, it's like mm-hmm. someone said your name. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, if you're if you're worried about that going away, I can only imagine. Or I mean, just from the pandemic, I got a uh, glimpse of it. But like, if you imagine that going away, you start to question, "Who am I? Like, what do I like? Yeah. What what what's the next evolution of my life that I've done my entire adult life doing this one thing? So what what's the next what's the next adventure? You know? Exactly. And and the reality is, I was playing like festivals and stuff solo. And I just kept thinking, I'm excited to go out there and do this, but I really wish this was my band. I wish that it was a a fucking rock show. I wish that we could go out there and kick ass. And so I just decided this isn't going to be what happens and we're going to do whatever it takes to get this fixed. And we met and had lunch and decided that it was, it was time to, to get this going. And I had met Lonnie, our, our new bassist around the same time. And he was, just such a the serial, the serial killer of the band is what I've been is what he's been yeah. described as. Lonnie, Lonnie is the most kind, warm, crazy person I have ever met. Uh, <laughs> by crazy a similar I, way of describing him. <laughs> by crazy person, I mean to say that he is he's unlike anyone you've ever met, and that that level of individuality, but still retaining a complete warmth and kindness and light is something that we were not accustomed to and being around somebody who was so incredibly positive and such a supportive person and so um demonstrative in his support of the music of the band it was it was huge for me and and the other thing is when i met him he was just i i'd hired him to play in my solo band i met him like you meet a lot of people, you know, people submitted for the tour. My manager sent me a bunch of videos and resumes. And I said, ah, this guy looks great. And I, I had no idea that I was going to grow so close to him as a friend. And then I also had no idea that he was a dedicated Blackville Brides fan and had grown up listening to the band. And I started I, on the, on the course of that tour, I, I, I started asking him like, so what is it about this band that has meant so much? You know, it, it sounds kind of self-indulgent, right. but I was more like... No, just curiosity. To me, it just sounds like curiosity. Like, what was it? Like, what what were the parts that we did well and what were the parts that we did bad? <laughs> like, exactly. And this is, a, you know, I'm looking at somebody who's 
dedicated incredible yeah. musician who can sight read, who can all this stuff. And to know that my band was hugely influential in this person wanting to pick this instrument up and do this. Um, I was very curious about it. And so he started to really stoke the fire under me of like, you know what? Yeah, we, we are fucking kick ass and we've got to get back and do this thing because it's really important. And then, you know, I asked him if he wanted to be in the band and he revealed to me something that I didn't know, which is that amongst his sleep of tattoos, I had never examined it. He had the lyrics to our song in the end tattooed on his arm. And wow. he was like, I never said this because I didn't want you to think like, you know, that I was like a mega fan or anything. And I was like, I go, you know very little about me then because I love anything involving me more than anything. So uh, that would have been <laughs> you are a lead singer. You are a lead singer. Immediately, <laughs> yeah, immediately my favorite tattoo that you have. Uh, my lyrics on your arm. Uh, no, but so I introduced him to the rest of the band and he has just been a, a light. And I, I really, I love being on stage with, with the band and we're just, we're just having so much fun. Man. Like I could go on forever. It's just, yeah. it feels good to, to fucking love doing this in a, in a way that maybe we've never done before. So I'm, I'm so happy for you, Andy, cause I, I, I've known that feeling and it's, but it's just, there's nothing else like it. I'm really, really proud of what you guys have done over the last decade since, you know, starting out and everything. You guys are doing so many great things. I know we got to let you go, but I got to talk about last two things. One, uh, the new the new record, which I'll say for a second. The other, I wanted to ask about your when you got the uh, the acting bug, because I know you you were on that Paradise City on Amazon. Um, there's a, there's other big names in it, like uh, was it uh, the what's her name, Bella Thorne is in this. Uh, ben from uh, Asking is in parts parts of it. Um, how was that started out for you? Have you had this in the back of your mind that you wanted to be an actor as well? Or did something just fall in your lap and you're like, fuck it, I'll go for it? Well, I was always interested in, again, to make the joke, the lead singer thing, I was always interested in people, having people watch me do things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 mean, I don't fault you on that. I'm a bass player. Yeah. I still got a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, as a kid, like like a lot of people, I... I was, I became very interested in performing in any way that I could. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that was getting to sing songs for the relatives at the Christmas and making them all listen to me singing misfit songs at them, uh, as a That's little incredible. kid. I can't believe, oh, you gotta get, you gotta release some home video of that one day. I, I did there. I hosted the alternative press music awards in 2017. And part of my monologue was showing incredibly embarrassing footage of me as a 10 year old in Michael Graves makeup singing at my grandparents to get proposed. All right, we gotta stay we gotta we gotta stay in closer touch and not wait for the next 10 years to go by. Cause I want to see some of this shit. Cause that, that, that right, is fair so enough, cool fair enough. Me. Yeah. Uh so yeah, so just from the time I was a little kid, it was something I was always interested in. And then um there's a performing arts school in Cincinnati that's a pretty prestigious one. And it's it was one of those things where, you know, we lived outside of the city. Uh, if you live outside the city, you'd have to pay tuition. My parents couldn't necessarily afford tuition. So my aunt said, uh, my aunt Mimi said, if, you know, if you audition and get in, I will help cover the cost of your tuition. And, you know, with, with my parents, they would be able to split it. And it was a huge deal and just so wonderful. And I and I'll always give her massive credit for kind of giving me that first push. So I auditioned uh, to go to the school in musical theater. And I just, for the hell of it, did an acting monologue. And I didn't, to go Misfits again, I didn't know any monologues from acting. Uh, so I did a dramatic reading of the lyrics to Dig Up for Bones. Uh, and yeah. the people at the school didn't know that it was a song. So yeah. they just thought I was reading like Edgar Allan Poe or something. Um, <laughs> but so I got into the drama department and I got into the vocal music department. I was unceremoniously kicked out of the vocal music department because I was told, as they said, you cannot be the lead singer of the choir, um, which is something that apparently I was pushing for. Um, but uh, yeah, like, wait, wait, this whole story, this whole last hour you've been talking about, it's obvious why you, why you left as soon as they said you couldn't be the lead singer of the choir. You're like, yeah, wait a minute, wait exactly. a minute. I have to be one of the well, other. So I, was, I was also told by <laughs> uh, the, the head of the vocal music department there that I wasn't a singer and that I would never be able to sing. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, 
and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. I did get to go back when they had me come back as a notable alumni a couple years ago, and he still works there. And I walked into his room and said, You'll never guess what I do for a living, but that was that was a little fun. That's thing, amazing. That's a cool. Um, I, that's a cool like yeah. return story. I, you don't get to hear a lot of those. I, that, that's really cool. It was wonderful. I love revenge, and it was one of the sweetest. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was my, trying to paint like this nice picture about no, it. You're like, no, I, I love revenge. I, <laughs> full sass. Like I went in there like, hey, motherfucker. Like there was no niceness about it. Yeah, at all. that's amazing. Um, I probably came in too hot, but I'd been mad for ten years about it. Uh, anyway, so. <laughs> The, the the leader of the drama department, David Roth, saw me and said, you know, we're, we lost our lead for the show Harvey, which is the show that we're doing at school. Um, would you be able to, to act if you ever acted? And of course, I learned from the Steven Tyler method of lie and say yes, of course, and fake it till you make it. So I said, oh, of course I've acted before. And he goes, okay, cool. Well, um, you know, you're going to need to get a haircut because I have big, long, crazy hair. Uh, but you can play the, the Jimmy Stewart character in, in uh, Harvey, which is a, a comedic show. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, and I learned the script, and he taught me a lot, and I fell in love with it. And then throughout being at school, I kept acting and being in shows, and Mr. Roth was always a huge um, inspiration to me, and it was something that stayed with me. When I first moved to L.A. at 16, uh, I started doing commercial work and I got to play a, a crazy meth head in a commercial directed by Tony K who directed American history X. And that made me uh, a little bit of money that I got to stay, say, uh, save until I was 18, which uh, I think it was about like $3,000 that I got on that. And which when you're 16, you think that $3,000 is like a lot oh, that's of money. A huge money. That's uh, a huge amount for a 16 year old. When you turn 18 and you have to figure out how to live somewhere in Los Angeles, uh, you find out very quickly <laughs> that $3,000 is not a lot of money when you have zero other dollars and no income. Uh, right. So I quickly burned through my stake of money and then was living in my car eating uh, cheese sandwiches. But that's a whole other story. Wow. Um, yeah. so we'll, we'll have I, to have you back on so we could get into that deep dive because I still want to get into the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, I lived in my 98 Cadillac Eldorado in the parking lot of the Home Depot in North Hollywood on Sherman Way uh, wow. for quite a while. Uh, anyway, so I, uh, I basically, once the band started to really take off, I, I kind of put the acting thing away because, you know, I was doing my first love. But Ash Alvinson, who we've known since the very beginning of our career, um, you know, owner of Sumerian Records, he was our booking agent at the beginning of our career. He's always been a supporter of the band. Uh, he came to me and said, hey, I'm writing this movie, and I've got you in mind as the lead. Do you want to do it? And I, of course, said yes. And so we did American Satan, which was the film. And then a couple years later, I was lucky to get to reprise the role uh, on the television series, uh, Paradise City, which we're hopefully going to be doing season two of soon. So, yeah, it's just right place, right time, and uh, a lot of people believing in me when they had no reason to, you know. Oh, that's cool, man. I I love that. I love that you're able to branch out into some other stuff and continue what your art go and and get that sweet revenge you've been uh, you've been wanting the whole time. You know, it's, it's great to yeah. to see that. <laughs> but, it's wonderful, uh, man. Yeah. Before I before I let you go, I know we're going over time a little bit. I hope that's okay. I want to talk about the new record real quick. Um, uh, I just got it yesterday. Uh, by the time this releases, it'll be it'll just have uh, released on Friday. We're going to release this on Monday the first. Uh, so it comes out, it just came out. We'll pretend like this is the 1st of November. It just came out October 29th. Just, it just came out, man. It's crazy. <laughs> no, it's a really good record. I'm glad that uh, your uh, management sent it over to me. Um, yeah, I heard uh, the Scarlet Cross for a while, as everyone else had. That that video is released in 2020. Um, uh, so that that was, you guys had obviously had that for a long time. Obviously, this was uh an album long in the making rather or at least long in the release um can you talk to talk to me a little bit about why now was the time to release it after having scarlet cross out for so long and then having it be one of the flagship songs at this at the start of the at the top of the record rather yeah uh we started the record in january um and then the intention was to try to work on it kind of piecemeal throughout the year of touring in 2020 and then the craziest thing happened 
Uh, <laughs> what happened? What happened, Andy? Uh, what the craziest thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we said, well, let's just let's just make this record this year, and we did, and we got to a point where we had about you know sixty percent of the record done, and we felt like we really wanted to get something out there because we were so excited about it. And so we wound up doing the music video and releasing the single for Scarlet Cross prior to the record being done. Um, and then we we had hoped to get it out by the summer and then uh, found out that, you know, again, because of that crazy thing that happened, we, we really couldn't. We couldn't get CDs made. We couldn't get records printed. We, there's a comic book tie-in that goes along with it. We couldn't get that printed in time. We basically found out that everything we wanted to do surrounding this record could not be done until the fall so we said well fuck it we're going to be on tour let's let's release this while we're on tour and i know it'll be a long lead time but ultimately i think it's actually been kind of cool you know we've been able to have much more time to really um have people embrace this record and, and all the story elements and the and all the stuff around it so um you know it's been a long time coming but to, to know how excited our fan base is with the release of this record still after all this time is it's really exciting for us Dude, honestly, I was listening to it. Uh, as I said, I just got it yesterday. I listened to it as a whole. A couple songs uh, stuck out to me. But as a whole, I just wanted to say congratulations on this record. It's some of the coolest shit I've heard you guys do. Um, it's definitely a mature step in an evolution of the band. It's, it's, it's kind of feels like a little bit of departure of some of the other stuff. I mean, right off the bat, I, you mentioned earlier the, the Batman voice. And I was like, oh, it sounds like a little bit of like, more serious, heavy, heavy metal, hair band metal, whatever from the eighties, but like done in a more serious new age way of doing it with like maybe a little hymn or Batman singing on top. So I'm glad that sure. you mentioned that. <laughs> I like both of those things. I like everything you just said. So that'll, you know, when, when we get the next, like the next printing with the sticker on the front, I'll just say everything that you just said there. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly what it should. That's, that's honestly my impression of it. Uh, I hope that was, that was pretty Do you remember, by the way, do you remember like in the old days when a new band would put out a CD and then they'd have a sticker that would say for fans of, and then it would list a bunch oh, of other yeah. bands. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> then we'll have a sticker that says for fans of uh, mature hair metal, uh, him <laughs> and Batman's thing. <laughs> It'll sell like fucking crazy, which I'm sure it's already going to do really well. And I'm really excited for everyone to get this because one of the songs I wanted to ask about was uh, Shadows Rise. That was the first song that kind of poked out when I was just, you know, walking along, listening to the album and kind of ingratiating myself into it. Um, that was a song that uh, to me, it's it steps out of the normal uh uh, keys or notes that you that you might expect, especially when you're hearing the record as a whole. All of a sudden, you have this a uh, little bit more diminished, a little bit more uh, dark, uh, clean guitar that comes in, and then it just really evolves into something even more as the song goes. And uh, to me, I feel like I've listened to you guys for a while. I feel like that might be my favorite song that you guys have done so far. Uh, just it's my favorite. It's probably it. one of my favorites on the record. I, I say every song is my favorite, but I love that. Of course, song. yeah. You, yeah. you you love all your babies, of course. I know how that yeah. goes, but like you, you still you, you're partial a little bit to a couple, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> one of my favorites. I you know a lot of that comes down to we were just really interested in trying to examine what the skill set of everybody in the band is. We've got Jinx, who's a classically trained string instrument player, and. You know, obviously Jake has grown so much as a as not just a guitar player, but as a producer and all these different elements. And then being able to work with producer Eric Ron, who brought out different elements, it was really an opportunity to go all in on all those things. The theatrical elements, you know, I, I, like I always say, I love being somewhere between, you know, the the kind of meatloaf and typo negative, uh, you know, when it comes to like the the presentation and i think that that song is great because it's got the the theatrical ebbs and flows and it feels very right. musical theater in ways but it's also very brooding and dark and feels kind of you know like like you said kind of diminished sound and everything so um yeah i mean i think and moving forward you know we just finished part two of the fan tomorrow which will be out next year we, we've kind of leaned into that side a little bit oh more. shit you you already have the the next one ready yeah, I mean, it, you know, we we finished it in writing. We've got to finish up the parts and everything. But it, yeah, you'll, out, you'll get that done. Well, sure, yeah. yeah, that's that's amazing. That's really cool. And I know Jake uh, Jake got producing credit on this record too, right? It was Jake yeah. and Eric. Uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. And how was how was that? Because this was your first time. To correct me if I'm wrong, was this your first time kind of 
almost self-producing with Jake and then having someone else on there too. And I know you guys worked with Jake. Feldman in the back uh, a couple of times. Yeah, we, we've been working with Feldy for years and we all love Feldy and, and he's, I mean, a huge debt of, of gratitude is owed to him for the band really having any kind of popularity. The records that we made with him were the ones that really kind of launched us into people's consciousness. But uh, as far as working with, with Jake goes, we had done, uh, we did an EP that he produced in 2019 just as a like, we're back kind of thing. And then he produced, we re-recorded the entirety of our first record and he produced that solely. Um, so we had some experience there, but first time working with Eric, first time meeting Eric um, was in, uh, you know, this last year and we just hit it off right away. And, you know, he, he worked with Feldy for a time. And so there was some comfortability and familiarity there with the workflow and everything. Um, but yeah, just, I can't say enough good things about Eric and Anthony as, as an engineer. Um, they just understood the band right away and I think brought out stuff in us that, that we needed to have brought out. Yeah. Uh, again, it my is, publicist is calling me right now. By the way, yeah, I think yeah, I took enough of your time. I really appreciate it all. Congrats on the new record, everyone! Go check out the tour and the new record from Black Veil Brides right now. Thanks, Andy. Let's stay in touch. Let's not wait another ten years, bro. Thanks so much, man. It's been a, it's been an honor to be on the show, and uh, yeah, this is uh, this is really great. I'm happy to I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you later. Have a good rest of your tour, man. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks to Andy for being on the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. Head over to drinkswithjohnny.com, and you can sign up to be a filthy animal. That's right, our members-only section where you get all the uh, bonus material, you get access to our Discord, you get everything early and ad-free. Now, the Discord is all ran by the filthy animals, and it's fucking beautiful. These guys are hilarious. They're, they're, they're really... I'm having so much fun checking in on them. And uh, we did like our first annual uh, Halloween party there. It was really cool on Thursday. That sounds like something you'd be into. Make sure you head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and find the members tab where you can uh, become a filthy animal. Also, uh, follow and share us on all your social media. That's basically the easiest way for us to see you. Um, and head over to the YouTube channel. That's where we got all the video. You could actually see Andy Black and myself talking. So uh, I guess that's it for this week. And... Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> As always, cheers. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.